So welcome everyone to the latest episode of Human-Centered Security. Today I have with me Bethany Sonnefeld and Blair Shen. So you might remember Bethany from the previous episode. She actually gets to, she gets to be on the podcast twice in a row. Um, she talked about her uh, platform called Create with Conscience on the last podcast. And on this podcast, I really wanted to have an episode devoted specifically to security. So Bethany, if you've listened to the previous podcast, she is the design manager at Duo Security. She was previously at Cloudflare, Retail Me Not, and IBM, and she is the founder of Create with Conscience. If you're interested in that, that is the previous episode, episode 25. And then with Bethany, I have Blair Shen, who is a product designer at Duo, and she was previously at Cloudflare and Harry and David. So thank you both Bethany and Blair. It's great to have you on the show and I'm really excited to talk about security with you. Yes, so are we. You make our jobs seem cool. (laughs) I definitely (laughs) think it's cool. So to start us off, um, and I'll have Bethany go first, just give us a, a brief overview of what led you to Duo. Yeah, definitely. So my kind of first experience with enterprise security was when I worked at IBM and that was shortly after college. So pretty new to the corporate world in general and never thought as a designer, I'd say I love designing enterprise security experiences. (laughs) But what I found throughout my career is that the problem space that security fits into, it's really complex, challenging problems and it's an ever-changing landscape. So for me as a designer, it keeps me on my toes and kind of helps the gears keep turning in my brain. And now that I'm on the management side, it it's a little bit different because I'm supporting my team in that journey. So yeah, I got here just kind of stumbling into it, honestly, and really finding that this is something that energizes me. Yeah, that's great. And Blair, what about you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So first of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited um, because this actually marks my very first time being in an all English podcast. Oh, how uh, exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, just a bit about myself. So uh, of course, currently I'm working in um, dual security as a product designer uh, and Cloudflare kind of was the only like other security related design experience I have um, and really interesting like these two experiences um, and like roles were quite are quite different um, and aside from that um, I'm also a YouTuber a co-founder a co-founder of an online academy a design academy called Unblock a mom of three cats um, so yeah that's most of my professional life and a couple of personal things sprinkles in there. Wonderful. Well, so let's dive right into it. You know, we really want to talk about the user experience of security and you work at a security company. One thing um, that might be helpful for our listeners and either one of you can uh, take this one is what is Duo? What is What does Duo do? Yeah, I can chime in. So Duo traditionally was an MFA vendor and we still are today. So we handle multi-factor authentication for 
customers and users that are authenticating into their work resources or applications. So if you think about people working in hospitals that need to get into their tooling, Duo provides a way to authenticate with a second or multiple factors, whether that's through our mobile application using what we call Duo Push or through security keys, things like biometrics, just adding an extra layer of security given that breaches are happening more and more frequently. And so Duo, we like to pride ourselves on being that extra layer of protection while also really considering the user experience of it. I think a lot of cybersecurity is focused on the admin side and focusing on security admin. Blair and I's team handles the user experience for end users. So what it feels like to be on the, the end of things where you're actually going through the authentication. Awesome, that's really helpful. So to start us off, how is designing for security different from designing from other types of user experiences? You both have been at organizations where you weren't necessarily focused on security. So curious to hear how it has been different. I can just give really high level, but I'd love if Blair could dive into the specifics. For me, I mentioned the problems we're solving in security are very technical and very complex. So I do feel that designing in this space, you have to be in a different mindset that is more technically minded. That's not to say that, you know, any designer can't enter the security world. Some of the best designers I've worked with aren't, you know, quote unquote, security experts. They're really hungry to learn, eager to understand the security world and make an impact in something that's more crucial to our world. But Blair, would you want to go into some of the specifics? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think one of the very difficult problem we are trying to tackle in designing security world is we have to fight, always fight with human uh, desire and there are different patterns in very complex situations. Um, so one thing I guess like all designers in security world might be able to relate um, was uh, is habituation. Uh, and then I have this quote from the handbook of warnings. Um, so it says the definition of hab habituation is when non-compliant behavior does not cause harm over time, people may develop an automatic response. Um, so it's called habituation and that does not take, take into account changes in warning context or messaging. Um, so I think one very good example um, I could think of was like, for example, many of us are very, may, may be very desensitized from Google's, you know, new logging activity email. And many users might not, you know, be as alerted as they should be. So that's one thing we are always fighting against, uh, very, just like very core of the human nature. They sometimes don't pay attention. They sometimes don't, you know, always pay, um, always notice the context of any maybe messaging we're sending or any uh, just like user interface we're showing them. And how can we actually combat this? Um, it's always a, a very, very high, um, very good challenge we'll, we'll have. And 
so I guess that kind of leads into how, so how do we can, uh, how do we like come back that is that we should kind of always consider that into, into our design. So for example, if we said, so back to the habituation. So when we give users different options based on the threat we detect, we can actually mitigate and or like decrease the opportunity. They just like ignore our message. Um, and then we have, uh, in our company, we also have multiple teams and experts who are dedicated to this subject matter and take care of what we call adaptive authentication to our product. And the other thing that kind of really echo back um, Heidi, uh, one of your previous episodes with Professor, uh, Professor Jeremiah Steele uh, about cognitive, cognitive psychology. So because we are fighting for users' attention in order to protect them, we're not just you know fighting their attention to sell them, uh, to, know, to let them know we have a big labor, labor day sale or big uh, discount on something. So I think for designers, um, understanding the, the cognitive psychology of attention also helps. So for example, if we have a high level understanding of attentional resource allocation, then we can actually design our product based on maybe stimulus-driven or goal-oriented mechanisms. There are very two different mechanisms in cognitive psychology. So a very um, kind of good example is if you ever use GitHub um, and you ask your user to actually type in D-E-L-E-T-E -E to delete a GitHub repo, then how they process the information becomes very goal-oriented instead of just a stimulus-driven um, mechanism. So which actually, actually uh, works perfectly to capture extra attention from the user before they perform a non-recoverable action. Yeah, th those are great examples. And yeah, I think, you know, limitations in cognition, just, you know, normal human limitations in cognition are is something that comes up a lot in insecurity user experience. And you also mentioned, you know, the idea of like, I think one of the things you talked about was like delayed consequences, like the idea that we don't always see the consequences of our actions when it comes to security. And it's really, really hard to change human behavior when there isn't a consequence immediately associated with it, right? You put your hand on the stove and you get burned, like obviously you're not gonna do that again. But with security, you don't always see it and you might not see, you know, it might take months or even years for it to materialize and you might not necessarily even attribute it to the thing that you did, you know, three months ago or a year ago. And then the other thing, you know, when you were talking about habituation, that made me think of like alert fatigue and it's probably, you know, along the same lines or the same word for or different words for the same thing where, you know, we're bombarded with messages and, you know, some of them we've learned to ignore because we see them over and over again. They look the same, like they weren't an issue before. So we just say, well, you know, we'll just ignore this. But also warning messages put a lot of onus on the end user in terms of having to interpret them. Like sometimes it's super confusing and you're like, I don't know, like, I guess I'll just ignore this and do the other thing that I was going to do anyway and, and just keep going about my day. So 
there's just like, as you were saying, there's just so much to unpack with a simple warning message or, you know, a simple sign up or login. Like there's a lot to think about. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was, I think, it, I think you said adaptive authentication. Can you tell us what that is and what that means in terms of the user experience? Yeah. So for example, um, a very simple way to put it, if like the alert or like warning message we we're talking about earlier, we can always, you know, kind of send a push notification to our user. Hey, did you just log in, right? But when that happened, we said very different risk factors coming in. Can we actually kind of customize and provide that kind of adapted situation to give them a warning based on their risk, based on the risk we evaluate that the user is having? And that actually, I think, is a very good way to kind of lower the, the fatigue threshold. Uh, we don't always, you know, give you all the possible alert or notifications because when all everything remains the same, we don't really need to fight for that user's attention. And also that's probably not very human to do it. Yeah, that's a great example. And we don't necessarily have to go into this because this wasn't part of the original discussion, but I feel like Bethany and I talked about this maybe a few discussions ago, the idea that businesses are moving towards a zero trust model and things like adaptive authentication are going to become more and more important because as Blair was describing, it's one thing to have someone log on to something, but it's another to be constantly authenticating them and introducing that friction while it is necessary from a business standpoint to, you know, for this zero trust model to work, but it, it could become very annoying <laughs> to the end user. So I don't know if you, if you wanted to say a little bit about how, you know, with this shift to zero trust, you know, why this is becoming more important and what that means for the user experience. Yeah, definitely echo back to the sentiment of, of, you know, it's, could be very annoying for our users. Um, and it's one of the challenge that is so hard to build any sort of attachment with our end users as um, designer in security product. Um, you know, it's not, it's not like a video game, your users play with it and then loving it. And it's not like social media where your users might just be addicted to it. And most end users uh, might not might not like voluntarily download or use your product because this is oh something my company or my school asked me to do asked me to use um so i think yes that's that's one of the things that's like really really a fine line to balance there um and i think though kind of put a i may, might put this way too negative but think about positive side is from the very long time ago, we always use password, we always use username. And that was like limited by the technology and hardware back then. But nowadays we, we have so much more advanced technology we can actually utilize. We can actually decrease those frictions and make the user experience a lot better. 
and also have a lot more advanced, you know, maybe different ways to do threat modeling, etc. And that actually leads to, you know, kind of the generally zero trust idea that we don't really want to create those like frictions necessarily uh, all the time, but we evaluate that risk and only ask, seek for our users, their attention when we need to. Yeah, and to, and to circle back to what you were saying before, it, I thought the GitHub example was was fantastic because that, yes, we want to remove friction when it makes sense, but we also want to introduce friction when it makes sense. So in your example with GitHub, when the user is potentially going to do, do something that they might regret or that is irreversible, really shifting uh, you know, the, the parts of the brain that they're using and really think like, do you want to delete this? And actually making them type in delete can help them actually think through the, the consequences of, of what they're doing. So I think that's, that's a great example. And then what you started to go into, uh, which, which is my next question is you, uh, you know, Bethany and Blair are, are given the, <laughs> the difficult task of designing authentication, which, you know, users don't necessarily go into an experience with the goal of, you know, I want to authenticate myself, right? If anything, they are loathing, you know, these points of friction that are put in place that put, that are put in between them and accomplishing a goal. Their, their goal isn't to um, be recognized by the system. Their goal is to pay a bill or, you know, some other type of goal. So how do you approach design knowing that people don't necessarily enjoy this process? And certainly, you know, there are plenty of folks, I've been in plenty of uh, user interviews and usability studies where I hear folks say like, I hate MFA, like 2FA is so annoying. You know, you hear those sentiments. So how do you approach design when, when, you have, when you're up against that? It's difficult. I'm glad that you can relate because we feel the same sentiment. We hear that from our users. We hear, oh, it's just a road bump in getting me to my end destination, right? And designing for security, we do have to be really mindful of what is the right amount of friction, right? It, it cannot be frictionless. That's the reality of it. However, I do think a lot of the times designers may lean too much on putting the onus on our end users to do the right thing. And I think there's a balance there. How could we lean more on the technology? To Blair's point, we've come such a long way from just using a username and password, right? There are things that, that you can do as a technology company to make your tech smarter. And that could be anything from you know running checks in the background on the user's device, while they're using it to make sure that, you know, they're continuing to be safe. And then if anything has changed, maybe that's when you introduce an added layer of friction where they may have to re-authenticate. The other part of the coin is building trust with your users, right? That's difficult to do with a product that isn't something people quote unquote love using. It's not, you know, social media or something that may bring someone a lot of joy. A lot of our users see this as 
something that's helping keep their company and themselves secure. So there's small moments that you can build in trust, whether it's through um, implementing password lists in favor of biometrics. That makes their experience a lot more seamless and a lot more efficient in terms of getting them to their end destination. So it's a tricky balance of, again, creating the right amount of friction, but also trying to work towards building trust with your users through the small moments in which you do have their attention. And also we need to kind of like predict when we can actually inject that right amount of friction is to know when you have your user's attention and to kind of predict what kind of what kind of pain they might have in the future and how can we help them alleviate, alleviate those pain like prior before they actually experience any of those. So maybe we can like 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 Bethany said, like we can actually run some background checks uh, for like what kind of technology, right? What kind of hardware they are using. And even like what we can actually ask some questions, like do they have wearable devices before or like while they are onboarding uh, with us? And do they have any social media account that also use multi-factor 2FA um, to protect their accounts? And if so, and show the benefits and, and prompt them to do so while we still have their attention. So kind of on the same, the same idea of, you know, like mitigating risk and trying to, trying to think through the, the unintended consequences, which was the title of, of Bethany's last podcast episode, thinking through the unintended consequences um, in terms of the user experience, like anticipating where things might go wrong. Um, you know, how do you tackle that from from a design and process perspective? So we lean pretty heavily on our security team to help uncover what those risks might be from a security perspective. But I touched on this in the last episode of just, you know, keeping in mind the human factor when you're designing. I think sometimes we get so in the mindset of these are our users and we kind of you know, breeze by the fact that they're humans at the end of the day. And it's impossible to predict every sort of behavior that might happen. So it's just, you know, keeping a, a close pulse on user behavior and going back to what Blair mentioned earlier, like the principles of psychology and keeping that in mind. So one example is, you know, relying more on the technology to help mitigate these risks. So if Let's say, Heidi, for example, you know, you end your workday at 5 p.m. and you start receiving emails that someone's trying to log into your account. Shouldn't the technology be smart enough to note that Heidi is not actively in their your workday? So let's not even send you a notification. Let's automatically de decline that request so that we can potentially prevent against hackers. And if, if the case is that maybe you were trying to log into something, learn the user's behavior from there, but try to be, be more proactive instead of reactive and set those checks in place earlier on so that users won't even be seeing those notifications. Blair, do you have any, any other examples or do you want to provide some more color to that? Yeah, I think um, echo back on the the understanding our users are humans and but also understanding that 
the other side of the coin, of course, the users can can be hackers. Um, so work, we always say work with our security engineering team. So they can help us think like a hacker um, and then predict, at least predict some of the, the potential vulnerabilities with any possible solutions we come up with. Um, if you don't really have, you know, security background knowledge, then they are a really good resource. And also have to think like, someone without any security knowledge. Um, so it's really useful to put, of course, put yourself in a hack, hacker's shoes to see your design. How can it be abused? Um, what are the potential vulnerabilities? But meanwhile, wipe out all of your understanding about security for a second and see things from, from some lemon's perspective. Um, and I think one really good example um, you all probably use Google Voice before um, or heard about Google Voice. Great product, very convenient. Um, but when they first time verified you as a user um, a few years ago, um, they had this uh, message uh, to send out a verification code, right? And I, they, at the very beginning, it wasn't, you know, known for any by anyone that this is so easy to social engineer someone's code because the message did not contain any warning about sharing the code. So this again leads to the, the second point and also um, echo back to, you know, you, we have to understand a very diverse set of users. We need to actually get to their daily life and they under, understand their context and recognize how human behaviors can sometimes run against your desire. So back to the Google Voice example, when, when that happened, it was from mostly you know, secondhand online market, uh, marketplace, like Craigslist, Facebook market. And people post, you know, oh, I lost my pets. I want someone to help me, right? Um, those are local um, online uh, market. And so, of course, bad actors utilize those emotions. When you are, you know, frantically try to look, at, look for your pets, you might not think as rational as you usually would be. And they ask you, I want to verify you as a real, real, you know, Facebook user give me this code, I sent this code to you via your text message. And a lot of folks fail for that. So that's something that we definitely have to pay very close attention. We need to actually recognize there are very different emotions um, in any possible situation out there in different contexts. If you were to give advice to someone not working in security, um, what do you think is a concept that you learned that you feel like is very important for others to know about security? The first thing that came to mind is, and I, I don't know if it's really a concept, but just thinking through different like core experiences of what your end user is going through. So I think a lot of the times when people think about security, they think about the moment of authentication. Mm -hmm. But the reality is there are so many other small moments throughout that user's journey in which you can really make a difference. 
whether that's through onboarding or enrollment or remediation, you know, how do you help your users when they can't authenticate or they need help? So I don't necessarily think that's a concept, but I think it, people sometimes look at security and think of it's this behemoth, scary thing to have to design for. But the reality is it's, it's a, a collection of small moments that lead up to this moment of authentication, which is the core experience. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, and, you know, it's funny how like everything is security until like you really break it down and you're like, no, like actually this is, these are just user experience issues. Like if something goes wrong, like that, that could happen in any aspect of the user experience doesn't necessarily have to do with security. And then you're thinking like, okay, so what sort of, you know, clear and concise feedback can I give? Um, You know, what sort of message am I spinning back to the user? How can I get them back on track? Like, these are all things from um, like their Nielsen Norman group, 10 usability heuristics, right? Like error recovery. Uh, so I think, I think your advice is, is really spot on in terms of like, don't be bogged down with like security, everything and, and feel like it's a, it's an impossible hoop to jump through. Like really, if you down to the core, like these are just user experience issues and you're just trying to help the user, you know, get back on track. Right. And one other thing that came to mind as you were speaking in terms of security concepts and models, one thing that was challenging for me to understand in the beginning was how zero trust security differs from any other type of model. So Blair and I at Cloudflare worked on a DNS filtering service, which means that by default, you allow everything and the security admin has to put checks in place to filter out and block certain things versus zero trust is the complete opposite. Zero trust is you trust nothing. So there are different security models at a high level that I think are important to understand the concept of how they work in terms of getting in the mindset of how a security admin sees those and sets those checks in place. And you also made me think about how different teams really need to communicate and collaborate. I'm curious how, this is a two-part question, how you do that within your design team or teams, however you're structured, and then how you do that with a a larger like cross-disciplinary team. So you talked about, for example, working with security experts and and trying to understand the different threats. So two parts, within your design organization and um, broader, you know, across your organization. So luckily for us, we have an amazing research team that's part of the design team that we can lean on. And they are, I would say, the experts in all different types of personas that we have at Duo. And so not only do we lean on them, but bringing in engineering to our usability studies and our really early research that we're conducting, whether it's at the beginning of a project or whether we're focused on continuous improvement. So it just goes back to this narrative of design cannot operate in a vacuum or in a silo, especially in cybersecurity, because there's just a lot that we don't know. And so leaning on product to help understand you know, customer needs, understanding where the market is going, leaning on your engineers to understand the actual technical side of that, and then 
bringing in your research team to help you as a designer really dive deep into what you're hearing from your end users and how to take that data and use it to build some build off of something or build something new that's really wonderful and great. Yeah, and then in terms of, you know, other than collab collaborating with research team and also within design team, um, we also like incorporate, of course, and uh, security engineering team in uh, very early discussions um, when they, when we need to try to come up with some solutions for a problem, um, it's always really helpful to, to prevent that false start on the development effort, right? So we loop in engineers very early on um, and then hopefully to get, you know, any real-time feedback and sometimes could be even formalized review for some solutions we have. Um, and that's like one very, very good advice um, actually from our, our security engineering team is, is closer collaboration um, across teams and even with you know, product or design or research leaders, not just with engineers, because usually the first thing they want to engineers might want to talk to engineers about something when they see an, any issue or any problem. But this cross-functional collaboration actually help to design better product and then design a more secure product. Yeah, I think that's great advice really for any product, um, but especially for security. And I, th I think what else you were saying is that you, instead of not talking to security or engineering and building this thing and like getting all invested in it and getting all excited and, and, and using all of those resources only to find out, you know, six months later, like the, it's, it's, it's just not going to work. Right. You involve them early on and you can go through those different scenarios and say, you know, this is going to work or this might not work, or have you considered this and run through that at the beginning so that you're not invested in something that just isn't going to work in the end. So I think that's fantastic advice as well. So I think that is a good place to end. I really appreciate both of you taking the time to speak with me and to talk about security. Um, do you have any parting words for listeners? Maybe any words of wisdom? Come join us at Duo. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but yeah, if you're interested and in, in getting into cybersecurity, um, check out Duo. We are a part of Cisco. And so um, it's been exciting to be a part of a larger company while also, you know, getting to be focused on on MFA and, and on our end users experience. But I think parting words is just, I said this on the last episode, but design really, really can have an impact. And I think security is one of those that needs design in order to be successful and in order to move towards a world where we're not having to deal with breaches and hacks every other week that we're, we're hearing, you know, from many companies around the world. So I think that design is such a key part of this experience. And for anyone that's interested, like don't feel intimidated by this space. I think we need more designers working in cybersecurity. That's really great advice. I was thinking um, about 
this actually not too long ago. Um, like maybe cybersecurity, just say as an industry, it's usually quite daunting or quite quite overwhelming to to a lot of a lot of people. And I was thinking, you know what, we we need more even just diverse representation in this in this in this industry. That's how we can make better products. And of course things can be really difficult. Things to learn, uh, a lot of things to learn. And but this is how we can actually make a change is by starting to think who someone's not like coming from any technical background can also contributing to, to this product and services industry is, is very important. Uh, so feel, feel empowered. You should feel empowered to actually join the conversation and keep a pause on anything related to this field. Um, and also the best way, one of the best way is to listening to the podcast like this. Um, building your knowledge, building um, just like any parts that related to designing in security world, be psychology, be you know, design, usability, UX research, everything we touched here, I think that was just awesome that you know we can actually help the audience to get a deeper understanding of this. Not and not just if you're at a security company, right? Like you should feel empowered to talk about security at any organization because security is part of any digital product, whether you're in security or not. And I think designers, like going back to, back to what you said, Blair, you you may not have a security background, but you do have something to say. You're close. You are probably one of the closest people at your organization to the end user and you are an advocate for them. So, you know, you do have something to bring to the table when it comes to security because you are so close to the user. So that was the only thing I wanted to add to that. Thank you both for joining me today. It was an absolute pleasure and I really, really appreciate it. So thanks again. Thank you, Heidi. It was great to chat with you about security. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs>